Well, welcome to another edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Martian. So glad you tuned in today. This is kind of a super day here at the Bottom Line Show. No giveaways per se, just some an hour of uh, thoughtful conversation that I encourage you, by the way, to go on the uh, KBRITE app. We have a lot of Bottom Line listeners who listen to our program on the KBRITE radio app. And download the app to your phone. You can get it at the Google Play Store, get it at iTunes, whatever you want, the App Store. And download that. It's free. And then you can listen to all your favorite programs, including the Bottom Line Show. And one of the things that we do have is we do have a group chat. We have a little chat room to the side. And Teresa and Crystal and Tamara, you remember Tamara? I know a lot of Bottom Line listeners love to talk to Tamara. Um, <laughs> sometimes I would look up and I'd be going to a commercial break or wanted to play a little audio or something. And there's Tamara chatting away with the, one of you um, who kept her attention for me. Uh, but I'm not <laughs> I'm not jealous. If you want to talk to Tamara, she's in the chat room too. I don't know if Joel gets too into the chat room all that much, but maybe he does. Anyway, if there's a topic of conversation that we have on the table, like what we're going to talk about this hour, we're going to talk about the Super Bowl, talk about faith, talk about uh, how we as Christians can do the best job possible to witness, understanding the gravity of what an event like Super Bowl 58 is going to bring. Got a couple of guys who are taking snaps on either side of the uh, line of scrimmage who love the Lord, and that that's going to be a fun one. We can always get into a dialogue about does God care who wins football games or this, that, and the other thing. But download the KBright app if you don't already have it. If you're listening on the KBright app, remember that we do have a chat and you can get in that group chat and hang out. And as I've said before, dad here has to fly, has to drive the car. So I'm not in on the chat all the time. <laughs> My job is to sit there and make sure we don't crash off the road. But uh, everybody else on the team here is in the chat and having a good time. So if you've got some comments that you'd like to make or a uh, suggestion for an upcoming program, or if you just want to, even if you just want to say, who do you think, Chiefs? 49ers, give us your best uh, guess. Uh, you can do that at thebottomlineshow.com, or you can also get in the chat, uh, the group chat at the KBright app. Now, you know, it's interesting. Whenever football season rolls around, people, you begin to wonder, well, actually, um, it's not like football season rolls around because it's on all the time. I remember the first time I watched the MLB Network. Big baseball fan, of course, our whole family is. And I thought to myself... Well, what do they do in the off season? And then I found out, well, how cool is this? They've got all these shows of old World Series games and it, it, you know people interviews and the hot stove and all that stuff. And I thought, well, this is really cool. I'm really excited, you know, to have MLB Network. But I remember watching. Who was it? Was it? Um, uh, I think it was Rich Eisen was working for ESPN at the time. And he decided that he was going to leave and go for the NFL Network. And I thought, now that may be the dumbest career move I've ever heard. Because who in their right mind is going to have NFL programming on all year round, right? They have uh, summer training camp in July and August. The game started September. Super Bowl's played in January. And then you sit and you wait. <laughs> There's nothing a whole lot. Who would possibly want to talk football all year round. And I thought, well, wait, wait a minute. I mean, grew up in the Southern California area. The Dodgers were definitely the big kahuna, but the Angels, you know, won a World Series, went to the playoffs a couple of times. I mean, they had Gene Autry. <laughs> um, but which team had year-round coverage? And there was Dodger talk on KBC radio, AM 790, right off the dial from K-Bright here in Southern California. But Dodger talk was on all year round. And the Angel talk most certainly was not because Dodger fans will talk about the Dodgers. As a matter of fact, was it last Sunday, this past Sunday? Um, they had the Dodger Fan Fest out at Chavez Ravine. And, of course, the players were there. Shohei Otani was there in his new Dodger uniform. Boo! And <laughs> 35,000 people came to Dodger Stadium this last week, even before the rains came down. 35,000 people went to Dodger Stadium. You know what they did? They met Dodger players. They wore the gear that they had. They walked around the field. And other than that, they basically did nothing. But they paid good money. As a matter of fact, the Dodgers had to cut off ticket sales at 35,000. They could have sold more if they wanted to. Well, that makes sense, Roger. Baseball is America's pastime, right? Well, does it seem like football may have dethroned baseball? Let me give you a hint. 
not only is it yes, but the baton was passed a long time ago. How long ago, you ask? We're going to put this article up at thebottomlineshow.com. Our friends at Gallup, as in the George Gallup company that makes Gallup polls, uh, recently released a new statistic that talked about uh, the question is, what is your favorite sport to watch? Now, whether watching it in person, watching it on TV, and they were just looking at the top three sports in America, which are football, baseball, basketball. Now, understanding that there was a season in life where football was not terribly popular, basketball, my goodness, I mean, I mean, Rob Yardley, our good friend who was on the board of directors at Through the Bible, Rob's dad, George Yardley, played uh, professional basketball in the NBA in the 50s and 60s. As a matter of fact, he used to be the all-time scoring leader for a season, or maybe he was a single-season scoring leader uh, with the Fort Wayne Pistons. and uh, you know the, he, Back when the NBA had those teams, right? And they became the Detroit Pistons. I don't, I mean, it seems like Detroit Pistons made more sense than Fort Wayne because I didn't know they had a lot of auto manufacturing in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Maybe they did. But Detroit, Motor City, come on. But we, we remember that the NBA was kind of on shaky ground in the 60s. And then the American Basketball Association started. And both leagues were so suspicious that they had to fold the ABA into the NBA. And that's finally then when the TV contract started to come around. I mean, I was a big basketball fan, but I can remember watching the Lakers win the NBA championship. Was it 1980? The uh, uh, Kareem had a migraine and couldn't play, so Magic had to play center and scored 42 points. Those games were tape delayed. If they were playing at the Fabulous Forum in L.A., they would, Jim Hill would come on the CBS Sports and say, okay, guys, if you don't want to watch the tape delay of tonight's Laker game, here's the score. Cover your eyes. And then at 11.30, since they didn't have a late-night show, they'd run the NBA Game 6 of the NBA Finals. I remember watching those old videos where they'd be on Sunday afternoon, and they would literally, yeah, we're playing the NBA Finals right now, but coming up next, it's the Kemper Open, right? (laughs) Who made these sports so popular? I guess they were popular to the people who were they were, but the Gallup Company has been tracking for the past 85 years which are the most popular sports for people to watch in America. And most people would say, well, it's no comparison. It has to be football, right? It's on TV all the time. Well, now, wait a minute. Maybe it was football. Maybe it's baseball. Baseball called itself America's pastime for a reason. But the question is, as we get ready to tee it up for Super Bowl 58 this Sunday, and am I even allowed to say that? And I mean that sincerely. The NFL owns the rights to the Super Bowl. You can't advertise the big game. You have to call it the big game. I'm just saying Super Bowl, Super Bowl, Super Bowl, Super Bowl. But Gallup has been tracking since the, actually before 1940, from the early to mid-1930s, they've been asking Americans, what is your favorite sport to watch? And then they, you know, they start with the question, baseball, basketball, or football? We're going to take a quick break and when we come back, I want to get into what these numbers really mean because they say a lot about how culture has changed, how society has changed, and then ask the question, how much time do you spend watching any of these sports? Because what used to be the big dog, the dominant kahuna, is kind of hanging on for dear life these days. And the one that you might have thought has been dominant for a long time, well, it actually has. We'll talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. Call personal injury attorney Stephanie Cover of Cover Law first after an accident. Friends or family might tell you to get in touch with the insurance company for the party at fault first, but this is wrong. Stephanie knows countless myths that surround personal injury law, and she will help you separate fact from fiction. Stephanie worked directly for insurance companies for decades, and she knows how to navigate the process. You may wonder if your injury is too minor to warrant an attorney representing you. Stephanie can help you figure that part out with a free call, and she will tell you honestly if she thinks it's worth pursuing. Sometimes injured people are concerned about going to trial, but Stephanie prides herself on her ability to stay out of a courtroom because it typically means that she can maximize the amount you will actually receive. Don't make these decisions on your own. Contact Stephanie Cover at kbrightradio.com slash cover. That's C-O-V-E-R. Welcome back to this Thursday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marshall. We're talking a lot of Super Bowl stuff today, simply because the Super Bowl is, in fact, a cultural phenomenon, but also because the Super Bowl is uh, going to be uh, routinely is the most watched television event 
in the world. People watch it from all over everywhere, and it's important to you know keep up on what these trends are. Gallup released their annual poll, uh, one they conducted a poll back in December, December 1st through the 20th, and I don't think this had any impact on whether or not people would answer one way or the other. But Gallup has been asking Americans what is their favorite spectator sport since 1937. And you've heard it said that America, America's pastime was baseball. But of the th- big three, football, baseball, and basketball, which today here in 2024 is the most popular. Brothers and sisters, it's if you said football, not only are you right, it's not even close. The number of Americans who say that football is their favorite spectator sport, 41%. The number of Americans who said that baseball is their favorite spectator sport, 10%. And the number of Americans who said that basketball is their favorite spectator sport, 9%. Now you could do the math, that total 60. The other 40% didn't have an opinion. One way or the other of the big three, they had some other sport. They liked to watch golf or tennis or whatever it is. Now, it hasn't always been that way in the United States. As a matter of fact, back in the 1970s, football was finally passing baseball as a very, very interesting sport to watch. Baseball was the most dominant sport to watch in 1960. Football was a distant second. But by 1970, they had literally traded places, almost the same percentage. Basketball has always just kind of struggled. 10%, 9%, 10%, 9%. Around 1990, by the time Michael Jordan showed up and was getting interesting, the younger players kind of pushed it up to around 18 or so. LeBron James and all those guys. But now it's back down to 10. This year it's 9. I think NBA stands for nothing but attitude, you know, quite frankly, and or nothing but arrogance. And I, I don't enjoy watching NBA sports anymore. But football and baseball, we will definitely watch in the Marsh household. I think going to the game is important. I think that uh, watching the games, you can learn a lot. There's so many great Christian athletes, men and women, that are really having an impact on the culture that it is important to watch sports. But let me give you an idea of what has happened in this trend since the first poll was taken back in 1937. And ask yourself the question, what was happening? I'm going to leave basketball out of the equation because their numbers have been consistently bad ever since the mid-1930s. But football and baseball have changed places. And here's the reason why. In 1937, 37% of Americans said that baseball was their favorite spectator sport, and 23% said it was football. Baseball has always marketed itself as America's pastime. That number went to 40% who said baseball by 1950. 18% that same year said football was their favorite sport to watch. 1960, baseball had dropped a little bit. It was 33%, and uh, football had picked up to 20%. And then something happened. By 1970, football was the most popular sport, 39%, and baseball had dropped to 20%. Now, why do you think that is? Baseball was building new stadiums and using artificial turf and arguably had some of the best baseball players of the modern era playing in 1970. Why did football become so popular? Remember, football was one of those sports where you really had to love your team. You know, the purple people eaters in Minnesota and how cold it was if you were a Vikings fan and on and on and on and on. But what happened between 1960 and 1970 that made football more popular than baseball? I will tell you (laughs) right now, color television. All those people who wouldn't go to Soldier Field, wouldn't go to Metropolitan Stadium, wouldn't go to, you know, Giant Stadium, the polo grounds or whatever in, in the East Coast cold weather states to watch a game. All of a sudden now they didn't have to. Instead, what they would do is click on the new color television set in their living room and they could have a party. Plus, it moved into primetime. Remember what happened? It was 1969, 70, 71. ABC wanted something to do with the NFL because CBS had the NFC and NBC had the AFC. 
And the Monday night game became popular, and they showed it in prime time, not in the afternoon on Sunday, but in prime time on Monday night. And the ratings were phenomenal. Howard Cosell, Frank Gifford, Dandy Don Meredith. For most of the 1970s to the 1980s, football's popularity shot up. It was at 38% in 1970. It was 40% in 1980. And baseball still trucking along around 18%. Football dropped a little bit by 1990, went up a little bit in 2000 or so. Actually had a decline in influence around 2000. And then something happened in 2010. Maybe it was the Tom Brady effect or the Manning brothers or whatever it was. But football has been in the 40s ever since. Baseball has been in the teens ever since. Most recently, in this last poll, 10% of Americans said that baseball was their favorite sport. The devotion that people have to their sports is really breathtaking. Go to any stadium. I've had the privilege of going to about 10 baseball stadiums in the United States. And I see families who don't look like they have a lot of means, but mom and dad and all three kids have regular regulation baseball game jerseys and caps for their team. Custom made. The tickets aren't cheap. They still go. People watch baseball less in, on television, but how many teams are drawing over 3 million fans per year? Baseball has a very loyal, sentimental following, but if you are looking for mass marketing, the place you go in the United States is football. Which begs the question then, what is your church doing this Sunday about the big game? Now I know not every pastor is a big football fan. Some of them are. It is kind of amusing to watch guys like Tony Evans. Uh, We watch the Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship out of Dallas a lot. And Tony is a massive football fan. His son played professionally, son Jonathan, uh, for a short period of time. I believe Jonathan now is the chaplain for the Dallas Cowboys. He's always teasing his congregation about, thank you for coming and not going to the Cowboy game. (laughs) But football is popular. And I wonder how many churches miss an opportunity to come together around an event like that. You know what's interesting about this, too? I remember one time I was working in youth ministry. We, our youth pastor left mid-year. I was the high school Sunday school teacher, and so they said, hey, uh, we, we, we're going to get another intern, but it's now January, and this guy's not going to be here till May. Will you cover the high school group? I said, sure. So our senior pastor said, we want to do one activity every month for the high school kids. And it should be on Sunday afternoon. I said, why Sunday afternoon? Well, because that's the way we did it when I was a kid. And, you know, you go to church, Sunday school and church in the morning, and then you have high school activities on Sunday afternoon. It's a whole day for the family with church. I thought, okay, okay, so what am I going to do? I had two weeks to plan this thing, and I had no idea what I was going to do. So I thought, okay, I'm going to take the alternate route. So many people are going to be watching the Super Bowl. So many families are going to be involved, but I know we've got some nerdy, bookwormy kids who will not bother to pay, have any interest in watching the quote-unquote big game. So I put together flyers. I made a little you know, decoration for the youth room, and I said, we're going to have an anti-Super Bowl party. <laughs> Come to the youth room, 3 o'clock Sunday afternoon on Super Bowl Sunday, and we're going to have refreshments, and we're going to do everything but watch the game. And so I got everything all set up for the room and I sat there by myself <laughs> because nobody came. I wound up cleaning up the room and, you know, doing some other things and went home early and that's where it was. Because quite frankly, it's a big deal to a lot of people. If anyone ever uses the expression when talking about baseball, well, you know, baseball is America's pastime. Lovingly, gently, respectfully correct them and say, no, it's football by a margin of four to one. But why is that such a bad thing? Is it okay to have a team to cheer for? Is it okay to root, root, root for the home team and hope that your team wins the big game? Or is it a more poor reflection on our culture that people have gotten to the point now where they are less interested in participating and more interested in just having somebody else win or lose. I want to talk about that on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues.
Welcome back to today's edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. We'll put this article up at thebottomlineshow.com from our friends at the Gallup Organization. If you've ever remembered hearing about a Gallup poll, they were the standard bearer in the culture for public opinion, lifestyle, et cetera, et cetera. Now, here at the Bottom Line Show, uh, the pollster that we lean toward is also named George. His name is Dr. George Barna. And George will be back with us. Matter of fact, he and I are going to get together in a couple of weeks at the National Religious Broadcasters Convention and actually sit down with each other. George and I met indirectly many, many years ago at a youth workers event where I was engineering for another ministry. But he and I have not met in the context of we're really good friends and fellow bass players, that type of stuff. But the work that George does at Arizona Christian University in the Cultural uh, Research Center is second to none. And he talks often about the fact that there are many people who will pay lip service to their faith in Jesus Christ, but they don't have an actual real faith in Jesus Christ. And sports is a pretty good indication of why so many people aren't Christians. Here's what I mean by this. Recent Gallup poll, they started asking this questions of American citizens. What is your favorite sport to watch? Whether it's in person or on television. In 1937, 35% of Americans said their favorite sports to watch was baseball. 23% said football. By 1970, nearly 40% of Americans said that their favorite sports to watch was football, and 20% said baseball. In the recent Gallup poll, 41% of Americans said that football was their favorite sport to watch, and only 10% said baseball. When I think about my childhood and how many of my friends and I would get together and we played whatever sport was in season. We got together after school, even if we didn't always like each other. If you had 10 guys, you could play five-on-five touch football. If you had six guys, you could play three-on-three basketball. If you had six or seven kids, you could play over-the-line baseball. But there was a way you could get together, and it became a communal experience. Now the youth sporting world has become a training ground. It's no longer just collegial and we get together and colloquialize and things. It's become a, boy, if you're not on a club team by the time you're seven, this needs to be a career path for you. It doesn't. It's a social game. It's fun. The fact that so many people place so much importance on my team winning is kind of unnerving. And the fact that more and more people are growing comfortable with the idea of watching sports rather than participating in sports is also concerning as well. I think the reason is for us as Christians, we know that faith without deeds is dead. There is a big debate in many church circles about whether or not the person who uh, is doing the work of God is doing so out of a compulsion. I I need to do this because I've got to repay God for the salvation he's given me. Or if it's a supernatural desire, I don't have to do this, but I'm motivated to do it by the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life. When we cheer for a team and we watch a game played excellently, not robbed by the officials, you know, not not tainted by scandal, we should have a cause for cheering and celebration. We also should understand, too, as I mentioned, each starting quarterback for the two teams in Super Bowl 58 is a professing Christian. So the culture will say, well, who does God want to win the Super Bowl? I honestly don't believe that God is as interested in the outcome on the scoreboard with the Super Bowl. I believe that God is more interested in the turnaround in the heart of the person who wins and loses. One of the most successful winners in my book is a guy who recently was just baptized. And I'm stunned because he's been doing so much Christian work for the past 10 years. But his name is Jim Kelly. Now, when I mentioned Jim Kelly's name, you remember he was part of the Houston Gamblers and the USFL, and then he signed with the Buffalo Bills. And he led the Buffalo Bills to four consecutive AFC, American Football Conference, championships, which got him in the Super Bowl. By contrast, Patrick Mahomes, who's the quarterback of the uh, Kansas City Chiefs, has led the Chiefs to the Super Bowl four out of five times, something like that. So, I mean, it's equally impressive. Mahomes has a couple of Super Bowl championship rings. Jim Kelly did not win. They lost the big game on four consecutive occasions. And many people look at the Buffalo Bills franchise as one of the losing franchises in all of sports history. But when I got to meet Jim Kelly and his wife, Jill, at the Christian Retail Show in Orlando back in 2012, he started talking about the guys on that team and those teams. 
as if they had won championship games. He had one of the runner-up rings in his pocket. He said, I would go to war with those guys again in a heartbeat. They were the best teams I ever played with. And I asked him, I said, but, but he goes, I know we never won the big trophy. But those teams were phenomenal. And every time we looked at it, we said, okay, we lost a game, but we didn't lose anything of ourselves. We gained so much more by being here and by playing well as a team. If we won the trophy, that's icing on the cake. But even though we didn't win the trophy, we had so much more to gain. May we as Christians have the same outlook, whether your team wins or loses. And understand, though, that the football experience is huge and that influence is huge in the culture. So what can we as Christians do to capitalize on the fact that so many people will be watching the game? Wouldn't it be great if a Christian organization had a couple of spots in Sunday's game? Well, one does. The question is, are they going to be effective for leading people to Christ? We're going to look at the He Gets Us campaign coming up next as the bottom line continues. For more than 50 years, Dennis Wilson has been offering better alternatives to what the market offers when it comes to investments like certificates of deposit and real estate investment trust. Dennis's 3D account pays even better than market interest rate. Here's Dennis to explain. So what is a 3D account and how does it work? A 3D account is a real estate-backed investment without Wall Street risk. It pays an amazing interest of 7% for the next three years. At the end of three years, you can take your money out so you can see it's definitely not a REIT, or you can reinvest it at 7% in a new program. Go ahead and call today and ask about the 7% account. And then while you're on the phone and ask about our accounts that are based even higher amounts for funds over 250,000. Learn more about Dennis Wilson's 3D Money account, the better alternative to the Real Estate Investment Trust. Call 800-696-9970. 800-696-9970. Wilson Financial, simply better alternatives. Well, welcome to another edition of the Bottom Line Show. I say welcome here. If you tuned in at the top of the hour, you know that we've already been on for a half an hour. But if for those who tune in at 3.30 Pacific, 4.30 Mountain Time, this is the half hour when we all come together as a family and talk about stuff that's important to the body of Christ. Um, and we get to the bottom line on those different issues. And today here on the program, we have another kind of an interesting situation. If you listen to our flagship affiliate, KBRT in Southern California, you know that the Bottom Line Show uh, airs from four to uh, 3 to 4.30, Monday through Friday. But on Thursdays, the last half hour of the um, Bottom Line Show on Thursdays for KBRT is the first half hour of the National Crawford Roundtable podcast. And that's when Bob Duco and Neil Boron, WDCX in uh, Buffalo, and uh, John Rush, KLZ in uh, Denver. Bob, of course, is on the legendary WMUZ in Detroit and yours truly, all get together and we mix it up over an issue. I had a conflict this week with recording the National Crawford Roundtable podcast, so I'm not on there this week. But the guys got together and they talked about Super Bowl ads. And the Super Bowl ads in question, I mean, that's one of the topics, it's kind of a floating, bouncing ball when it comes to what we're discussing. But one of the issues that they talked about was the fact that, uh, you know, they talked about what the dollar amount is, a 30-second spot is 7 million bucks or whatever, and, you know, how, how much the cost is. And there will be invariably a number of different types of ads. I understand Budweiser has done what they possibly can, they think, to try to resurrect the Bud Light brand. That Bud Light thing with the transgender thing, whoever that guy is who dresses like Audrey Hepburn. And, I mean, no disrespect to anybody who's experiencing gender dysphoria, however... When you look at the brand ambassador for Bud Light, and this was one of those things where you talk about how quickly social media can blow up in your face. This is a guy who is an actor who identifies as a woman, so he dresses in women's clothing. And he, uh, I, I'm not even going to, you know, I don't always give names of people because I don't want to distract or dissuade from what the real issue is. For example, Oftentimes, when we're talking about presidents and presidential administrations, I'll use the number of the presidency rather than the president's name because it's amazing how many people will think in terms of, oh, well, you said Barack Obama, you said Donald Trump, and, and all of a sudden, people go to a different place. They don't think about the policies. They don't think about what that president did or didn't do right. They just think, I love that guy or I hate that guy. It's the same thing with crabby atheists and angry humanists. There are lots of groups 
that fall into those categories, but we choose not to give their names any recognition here on the Bottom Line Show. I mean, I understand that there are thousands of people who listen to this program every day in a variety of different markets, and we certainly don't want to well, pat them on the back by saying, you know what this group is, and here's their website, and you should go check them out. We don't do that. I mean, I know that if you want to learn something bad enough about one of those other organizations, you will. You'll go online and you'll do the Google dig deep like we do here at the program, or you're, you'll follow up on an article that we post. We don't mention it by name, but the, the group, but you'll find it buried in the, uh, the hyperlinks in the article. We want to go ahead and give credit where credit is due, but at the same time, we're not going to go after it. That's why I don't mention the name of the guy who dresses like Audrey Hepburn, who was representing Bud Light. This guy had been living as a woman for one year. Bud Light took out a commemorative can with his picture on it. One can. Guy posted on social media, and Budweiser lost 25% of the beer market. 25%. Bud Light apparently was the most popular beer brand in America. And now it's Modelo has taken its place because Bud Light, they couldn't give that stuff away. Anyway, at the Super Bowl this year, they're going to try to do a little brand resuscitation a relaunch on Bud Light and whatever. I'm sure we'll do a full and complete update on any of the commercials that were compelling. They used to be a lot more compelling at the Super Bowls. Now uh, they're just kind of interesting, somewhat provocative, maybe not so much. But there is a group that purports to be a faith-based organization. They call themselves He Gets Us. And they have, last year they made headlines by spending several million dollars buying ads in the Super Bowl. This year, yet again, they're doing the same thing. Now, this is a $100 million ad campaign that is designed to make Jesus more relatable in the culture. Arguably, to do something like this the way they do it, this is kind of the crowd that says, if you drive past a super progressive church, like a gay-loving church or whatever, They'll have signs up there saying, Jesus did not command us to be jerks. Not missing the irony, of course, that oftentimes what you're getting from that same organization is kind of a jerky behavior in the name of not being jerks for Christ. So, I mean, I, I, I understand. I mean, everybody seems to understand that you have to watch, you have to check your own hypocrisy at the door when you're dealing with a group like this because sometimes it can be kind of hypocritical. But he gets us has $100 million in their war chest, and they're going to put $14 million into a couple of ads that are going to run during Super Bowl 58. And the guys are going to uh, get into this a little bit more in the National Crawford Roundtable podcast later in the program today in about 25 minutes. But I thought as a preamble, since I didn't get to be on the broadcast this week, um, that I would share my own two cents and you could that way you can hear what I had to say. And yeah, I know someone might say, well, you're just doing that because now you get to talk all by yourself and you don't have to mix it up with Bob and John and Neil. And the reality is you're right. <laughs> but, but, but that's not that's not the reason I'm doing it. That's just a factual reality. Um, the He Gets Us campaign does have a tendency to lean a lot more progressive and left and I, I'll be honest with you, um, there are people that I read and get my information from, try to read a lot of different sources, you know, when we do analysis, balance, and clarity. But there's a woman by the name of Natasha Crane who really put in a lot of time and effort on this He Gets Us campaign. Natasha is a woman who has an MBA. She's a, worked in brand management and marketing for years before realizing that she also had a knack for apologetics and helping to teach kids about uh, you know what it means to be able to explain your faith so she wrote a book called talking to your with your kids about jesus talking with your kids about god keeping your kids on god's side she, her most recent book faithfully different regaining biblical clarity in a secular culture she podcasts uh, she's been a regular here on the bottom line show if you go to natashacrane.com she has a whole bit on this he gets us campaign and she echoes a lot of the sentiments that i have a lot of the questions that i do so in the so as not to reinvent the wheel but in full disclosure i'm not going to sit here and read material that natasha wrote and make it sound like i did what i'd like to do here for the remainder of the broadcast today is to take a look at the he gets us campaign natasha put in hours this most recent article she uh, wrote and posted at natashacrane.com she spent over nine hours doing the research and the writing see this is what good journalism does brothers and sisters. This is what good apologetics and hermeneutics does. If you are a Bible teacher or preacher, you put in the time.
it is so easy for us to sit back and go, you know, this is great. I went on Instagram and I found this meme and uh, you know what? Uh, good to go. Yay, yay us. Um, you know, I've got that meme and I'm going to preach on that meme for the rest of my life instead of doing the due diligence. And last year, Natasha saw the He Gets This campaign come out. I've seen the videos. They're very, very compelling. Compelling, not necessarily positively or negatively. Compelling just means you are compelled to watch it. You're compelled to pay attention to it. And I think that good media does that. It really, not, without forcing itself on us, it is done in such a way that you have to pay attention. That person who, you know, the, if they're in a movie or maybe they're in your church and they, they walk into the room and you go, oh, that so-and-so's here. You know that they're there. I believe that every Christian empowered by the Holy Spirit has that capacity. When the Holy Spirit indwells in our hearts, when God has radically transformed our lives and we're going through the sanctification process, I believe that we become that compelling to where when you are there, people know you're there. And when you're not there, people feel your absence as much as your presence. So when someone makes a, a religious looking commercial or ad campaign, like the He Gets Us campaign, they are compelling videos to watch. The question is, are they going to draw, draw people to Jesus or drive him further away from us or us from him? Last year, Natasha wrote a publication called Seven Problems with the He Gets Us campaign. She said, I, I, I responded critically, not necessarily I hate you, but let's be objective here. Because uh, they're talking billboards, you're talking websites, you're talking there's a book that came out, there's Bible study. Uh, and of course, the ads, the ads, all of the multimedia and he gets this campaign has been viewed over 300 million times. The idea is that when people went looking for the he gets this campaign, though, this is kind of interesting. Natasha had written a seven problems with the he gets this campaign. And basically, they literally had so much activity on her site with people who are like, yeah, I want to see about he gets us. But then I want to see what the problems are. Her site literally crashed. At one point, there were so many people pulling down material off of her site that it just really, folks are interested. So I'm encouraged by the fact that there are a number of people who are looking at this. They think it's helpful. They think it's beneficial because they see that he gets this campaign. They might go, wow, that's really cool that the name of Jesus is being lifted up at the Super Bowl. But then, well, what is it about that? So we're going to take a look on the other side of this break at four aspects of the he gets this campaign that are food for thought. And of course, you'll find a more comprehensive, deeper dive to this when you go to thebottomlineshow.com and find the article about this written by apologist Natasha Crane. We'll take a look at those coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. Bottom Line Show listeners have been so supportive of Preborn, and I appreciate you, and I know that Preborn does as well. Preborn is the Pregnancy Resource Center that offers women uh, options and offers women the truth when it comes to an unexpected or unplanned pregnancy. Now, if you were expecting pregnancy and you want to get a free ultrasound, you can go to our preborn clinic as well. It's very easy to do. And every time we donate $28 to the cause, that provides one free ultrasound appointment for someone who may or may not have the means to handle this. Now, Terry in Cathedral City recently called in a $1,000 donation. Thank you so much, Terry, for, uh, for giving us that call, especially out of the Coachella Valley. Also, Dennis in Los Angeles called in a $28 donation. Thank you, Dennis, for that $28. And also, I want to say thanks to Diane in San Diego, a $500 donation. Every $28 you provide means one more ultrasound visit for a woman who might be deciding between whether or not to keep the pregnancy or to keep the child. We are pro-child. 85% of the women who go to preborn and see the ultrasound choose life for their preborn child. And you can give a tax-deductible donation online today to support that cause. Go to kbrightradio.com and look for the preborn banner. Click the banner and make your best donation today. Welcome back to this pre-Super Bowl edition of the Bottom Line Show and also pre-National Crawford Roundtable podcast edition. Bob and John and Neil are going to get into the Super Bowl ads and specifically the He Gets Us campaign, uh, ostensibly faith-based ads that are going to air twice during Super Bowl 24 as they did during Super Bowl 2023. That's Super Bowl 58 in 2024 last year's Super Bowl 57 in 2023. But here are the questions that Natasha Crane asks that I believe we as Christians should ask as well. Number one, does the He Gets Us campaign actually get skeptics more interested in Jesus? A lot of evangelism goes out and tries to say, well, we're doing this because we're seeker sensitive. So 
Are we getting skeptics interested in Jesus? Ostensibly, that's what they claim they're doing. That's number one. Number two, does the He Gets Us campaign get skeptics interested in the right Jesus? Not right-wing militant Jesus, but the real Jesus, as opposed to the progressive Jesus who's kind of soft on sin and uh, really uh, rallies against uh, institutions and that type of thing. Number three, do the He Gets Us campaign reading plans take people to the next level of understanding Jesus, or do they just kind of reinforce a slick website and TV ads? And finally, does the He Gets Us campaign direct people to theologically solid churches for continuing their search for truth? So the uh, it's interesting. Uh, campaign consultant Ed Stetzer recently did an interview on the He Gets Us book with Scott Ray and Sean McDowell, Dr. Sean McDowell's uh, uh, professor at Biola University. Ed Stetzer is the dean of Talbot Seminary, and Biola hosts a Think Biblically podcast. And uh, Ed Stetzer, is, it's kind of a mixed bag for a lot of people. He says he's not a spokesman for the campaign per se, but he is a consultant. He's been closely involved, and so uh, he has comments that are helpful for an insider view of what the goals and strategies are. First, Natasha Crane wonders, does the He Gets Us campaign get skeptics interested in Jesus? Ed Stetzer says that people who eventually started the campaign had become concerned that, quote, the perception of Christianity had suffered and people weren't necessarily considering who Jesus was and they would like for people to consider who he was and who he is. They brought in market researchers. They found out that the skeptics were opening open to considering who Jesus was and then basically they're trying to build a bridge. Now, there are a number of statistics available to somebody with regard to who has visited the He Gets Us website as a result of the ads. According to Ed Stetzer, 600,000 people have signed up for the reading plan and several hundreds of thousands have been referred to churches. So perhaps this is a way to get the skeptics engaged. From that standpoint, that's a good thing. But then, Question number two, does the He Gets Us campaign get skeptics interested in the right Jesus? And this is the problem, I think, where the campaign begins to start to fall apart. The Jesus in the He Gets Us campaign, if you watch the videos, can be a very inspiring figure. Unfortunately, that's where it stops. We don't see the deity of Christ. We just see a, the inspiring human Jesus. The, the man of sorrows who's acquainted with grief. But at the same time, we also see one who's not just and holy, but rather one who's looking for a culturally palatable version of social justice. Um, basically, what Natasha Crane noticed last year is still true this year. The fact that Jesus, quote-unquote, gets us, stripped from the context of his identity, fully God and fully man, becomes meaningless. They say Jesus becomes an example of how humans should treat other humans. He is not presented as our savior. So basically the danger in the He Gets Us campaign could very easily be tied to the fact that what we see is the solution is, well, Jesus gets us. He understands us. He, he knows what our suffering is like. And then basically then points to the church or followers of Jesus and says, well, they don't have it all wrong. Basically, they ba want to reinforce what culture wants you to believe about Jesus, but they leave out the part where we see who Jesus really is. See, the culture is notorious. How many times have you seen this happen? Somebody from the New York Times writes an article and says, well, I don't know why these Christians are so mad because here's a Bible verse I've quoted out of context. See, they should be doing that. Or, or literally, you'll see secular journalists saying things like, well, I don't know why Christians are, you know, it's okay to be greedy in the church, but not in the business world, because doesn't God help those who help themselves? You know, it's, it, it doesn't really matter. But here's the thing. If you are targeting somebody who is skeptical of organized religion because they're concerned that the church somehow has lost its way, it's one thing to say, I'm going to reach out to someone who is skeptical and ask them questions about their faith and then try to answer questions they might have about who God is, who Jesus is, who the Holy Spirit is. But if we say, look, Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, it's amazing to be the number of people who will try to argue 
against the deity of Jesus by simply holding Jesus up as a good man. And Christian progressives fall into that same category. They oftentimes do. Now, we in the body of Christ don't do ourselves any favors when we play that same game. When we talk about, well, Jesus would want this candidate to win or Jesus would want this legislation to pass because that reflects biblical values and so it's important that we have that victory at the Supreme Court or whatever it is. I mean, brothers and sisters, our job is not to Christianize the courts or Christianize the political system. Our job is to preach Christ and Christ crucified. The He Gets Us campaign is the Jesus walked among sinners kind of in the 70s remember the guy started wearing their hair long you know kind of anti-war hippie radical type of thing well young men who became christian said i want to look like jesus man shoulder length hair work at a carpenter shop you know i mean that, that that's that that's who i want to be the campaign that targets skeptics also makes it clear that this is not all that skeptics have in mind Skeptics don't often say, well, I'm skeptical about Jesus, but if you show me who he really is, I'll come across. There's a very specific segment of skeptics. It's progressives who primarily view the world through the lens of social justice. And when you see this type of language used in the uh, He Gets Us campaign, you'll see hashtag inclusive, activist, struggle, things like that. All of a sudden, then you begin to realize, wait, God is not a God of social justice. God is a God who is just. He's righteous. He's holy. The whole reason that Jesus came to earth to pay the, pay the penalty for your sin and my sin is because God is a just and holy God. He can't be in the presence of sin. People go, well, how could God turn his face away from Jesus when he was on the cross? That's simple. Jesus is now bearing the sin of all mankind and holy God will not dwell cannot dwell in the presence of all that sin. He had no choice but to turn his head away. At the same time, though, and I've used this this analysis often, please remember how important it is when you're celebrating the birth of Christ at Christmas. And we see the story of the wise men and the shepherds and everybody coming and kneeling and looking, gazing upon the face of Jesus Christ. How powerful that moment is. Why? because he's fully God and fully man, and no sinful human could ever look into the face of God and live. So if we're reinforcing the notion that somehow religious leaders and religious people are all bad, you know, the, the, you get things that where people are saying, well, in my experience, and you know, talk about oppression and power and dynamics, things of that nature. Not to say that any of those things are actually problems, but rather it's clear that they are focusing on progressive skeptics based on this campaign. And not just somebody who is saying, yeah, I went to church, didn't work for me. I'm not really a social justice warrior or anything. I just don't believe that God is who he said he is based on what I was taught in my church. Now we can have a conversation. Oh, really? Tell me about that. But what was it like? Did you grow up in a certain denomination? Oh, yeah, boy, I totally understand that. And wow, I can totally relate too. And and next thing you know, you find a brother is born for adversity, a brother is from, born from adversity. And it's amazing how many people will come to faith in Christ because they see Christ lived out in the life of somebody who has a very similar experience to theirs. Um Another part of the He Gets Us campaign, though, is hiding in plain sight. And I'm going to pull the lid on it, pull back the cover, coming up next as the bottom line continues. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. It is Thursday, which means it is National Crawford Roundtable Podcast Day coming up around the corner. Uh, John and Bob and Neil are going to be talking about Super Bowl ads and the influence they have on the culture or the waning influence. And in particular, the He Gets Us campaign that is going to rear its ugly head again during Super Bowl 58, not once but twice, to the tune of $14 million of their $100 million budget is going to be there. Um, Natasha Crane has written a very comprehensive uh, dialogue that uh, takes a deep dive into the four questions that she raises about the He Gets Us campaign. There are seven different reading plans from He Gets Us on the YouVersion app. They range from four to nine days of content. Um, They total 43 days worth of context. 
and uh, Natasha has read all of them and offers a very comprehensive review of each of the plans, which I, I highly recommend that you take a look at. But the progressive ideology, um, it's interesting. In, in her book, Faithfully Different, Natasha Crane says that as of the writing of that book, 65% of all Americans identify as Christian, but only 6% have a worldview consistent with Scripture. Uh, Dr. George Barna has been on this program to tell us that that 6% number will drop to 4% when millennials and Gen Z are kind of pretty much running the show. So what are churches teaching? Well, sometimes they might look at something like he gets us and say uh, that they are, you know, that we want to use this because it's going to draw people to our church. But are you literally drawing people in with bait that's somehow tainted? A lot of progressive Christianity is fueled by the passion and a lot of even more liberal Christianity these days that you can't be a Christian and vote for Donald Trump. I, I hate to oversimplify it, but that's basically the issue. Now, trust me, I don't know if too many thinking Christians who are just saying, hey, I'm voting for Trump in 24 because MAGA and, you know, we've got to get rid of Joe Biden and et cetera, et cetera. But if that's what it boils down to for you, if you're saying, well, I don't know how any self-respecting Christian could vote for Donald Trump and therefore, this is a golden opportunity to hold up the mirror of God's word to your heart and ask the question, is that really what God wants me to do? Have I lost myself? There's a danger in something called confirmation bias. And that's simply just a fancy way of saying that I assume that about somebody. So therefore, I will drawn to other people who feel the same way. And then we see, I knew it because he agrees and she agrees and our whole church agrees and my whole family agrees and this, that, and the other thing. There's not healthy dialogue and debate. But I've said it before and I'll say it again and I'll close this segment by saying this. Regardless of who you are supporting in the election, regardless of what you think of the He Gets Us campaign, if you think this is the hip and happening way to draw people to a cool Jesus, the social justice Jesus or whatever it is, I just want to ask one question. Have you ever lost a friendship with a person who professes faith in Christ over politics and you were the one who said, I'm pulling away from the other guy? If a friendship is severed in the body of Christ because of politics, you're doing politics wrong. I've had a lot of people who have ghosted me, <laughs> as they say in the vernacular of the day, because of the, their perception of my politics, but I've never left them. I won't leave my brother or sister. God loves us just the way we are, but loves us too much for us to stay that way. Loves us just the way that we are means we can come to him without one plea, O Lamb of God, I come, and salvation is available to us. But the sanctification process says that no one who comes to God is good enough, and therefore the sanctification process must take place. Rejoice in the fact that somebody says we need to do the work of the evangelists and go into all the world and preach the gospel, but also love them enough to say, yeah, but if what you're presenting isn't the true gospel, it's really no gospel at all. That's the good news, and that's the bottom line. For those who remain on the network, this week's edition of the National Crawford Roundtable podcast coming up next as the bottom line continues. <laughs> 